Good morning. Oh, there we go. The Sunday after Easter, sometimes called Low Sunday. We've been through the euphoria of Easter, the fantastic music, the Easter brunch, the good news in its most exciting form. The following week, Easter 2, we're asking, now what? Second, of Sunday, second Sunday of Easter is traditional time off for many full-time and senior pastors. It's also known as Empty the Bench Sunday when the starting players take a rest and associate pastors and student pastors and other bench players like me step up and shoot for the hoop, hit for the seats, like, you know, John Fogarty, send me in, coach. I'm ready to play today. So um, in my uh, dozen or so years of preaching, this is my 10th low Sunday in the pulpit. I love it. Meanwhile, outside our doors, families, adults, children have just finished the Ravenswood Run. M maybe uh, you noticed we had flyers on our windshields last week saying, you know, this, these streets are going to be closed, park somewhere else. But, of course, it was all done by the time you got here. But uh, my family ran. I, I didn't. I was the, uh, the, the cheering section and the child watcher. Uh, but everybody else did, and so now they're home eating a late breakfast and <laughs> uh, taking off their uh, sweaty clothes. So um, we had to decide whether to go to church in our running clothes or change in the restroom. Well, I just wore this. This is my, my rain, rain dress. So it's, it's another now what moment. I asked them, now what? You want to go to church with me? And they said no. <laughs> We've had the euphoria of running the race or cheering the runners. Maybe we had a triumphant win. Well, Andy did. He won his heat. Um, or maybe a heartbreaking loss. I didn't see any of those, although there were some kids crying. Well, it's supposed to be a fun race, not some life-changing event. But life can be seen as a race, right? So how do I tradition from life as a race to second Sunday of Easter? Well, we have a whole religion devoted to the race that Jesus ran with his life. So let's get in the grandstand and watch it again. And most of us were here in church last week. I'm just going to... Is this working? Yeah, okay. Well, it's, it's a really good microphone because it's, not, it's let, not letting me pop my peas. I'm so glad. We know the Easter story. So we go with the women to the tomb, and we hear, he is not dead, he is risen. And we sing triumphant hallelujahs on this most joyous day of the Christian year. It's all familiar ground. We've been waiting since Christmas to hear the rest of the story. But just for a moment, imagine what it would have been like if you did not know the story. If this story was new to you, and you were experiencing it for the first time, for the disciples of Jesus, whom we read about on this second Sunday of Easter, the story unfolded more slowly. 
The news had to break through layers and layers of pain, suffering, and defeat. These witnesses saw him get arrested. They heard the hand-picked crowd that called for his crucifixion. They saw him, maybe even heard him struggle through the streets carrying the cross. They saw the broken body on the cross. They heard that he was buried in a tomb. And they knew the danger that they themselves were in, even admitting to know him might get them killed. It's the anger sinking into despair that the beginning of Malcolm Boyd's reading reminds me of. Imagine for a moment how the people in Jesus' inner circle felt in those first few days after his death. Just let it sink in for a few seconds. I know all of you have experiences you can draw on when all your hopes were dashed, when you suffered the most awful losses. At some point in that pain, you lift your head to ask, now what? Imagine yourself a disciple, a follower of Jesus, trying to make sense out of a senseless death of this great, gentle, godlike man. Imagine surveying your options after feeling him, following him for months, maybe years, and now he's gone. Now what, you ask? Where do I go? What do I do now that he's gone? Can I believe anything he said since they killed him and God didn't stop it? Imagine yourself feeling so sure of Jesus' words and teachings, having seen or heard of his miracles, his healing, and then having it all collapse with his death. Now what, you ask? Imagine as the news filtered out, well, gossip, really, that the body is gone. Some of the women and then some of the men have seen Jesus alive. At first, people said it was an idle tale. They didn't believe it. How could they? If you heard it from someone who actually had seen Jesus, you might see, have seen joy in their faces. And that might have been enough to convince you of the truth of the story. But maybe you heard it whispered from someone who had heard it told furtively from someone who heard it uttered in cautious wonder from someone who heard it from an eyewitness. You might be afraid to believe such a fantastic tale. Now what, you think? What am I to make of such gossip? Dismiss it, get it on with my, my grief? Go home and pick up the pieces of my, the life I left to follow Jesus? Or maybe check it out. Seek to find out more. Now what? What is this story of resurrection? Now that's where Thomas comes into the story. Earlier in the Gospel of John, when Jesus had decided to go to Bethel to raise his friend Lazarus from the dead, some of the disciples reminded him that the authorities around Bethel, which is close to Jerusalem, tried to stone him the last time he was there. Jesus was adamant that he would go. And Thomas said to his fellow disciples, let's, let's also go that we may die with him. Now was this empty bravado? 
I think not. I think Thomas was sincere in his belief, his belief in the strength of his belief. He was saying, as Peter did later, I will follow Jesus to the death. And then Jesus did die, but Peter and Thomas didn't follow him there. I imagine Thomas dealing with his grief by reading, maybe reading some of the Psalms or saying them, uh, Psalms of lament, maybe even Psalm 22, which Jesus began to say on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's rolling in grief and suffering and rocking back and forth with the pain. And he's wondering if there is more bad news to come of companions arrested and executed, of a general search for followers. Now what? He worries. And then he begins to hear different stories about Jesus and his followers. Stories so giddy with hope, he, he can't believe them. Thomas was probably among those men who dismissed the, the witness of the women who first saw the resurrected Jesus. You know, an idle tale such as women tell. Then more of Thomas's fellow disciples are saying that they saw Jesus alive. Some of them describe a scene where Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit into them. Now Thomas sees the transformation of the eyewitnesses, but the layers of despair are thick. He wants his own eyewitness experience. He wants his own moment of euphoria. His pain is so great he needs to hear and see and touch Jesus to believe the good news of the resurrection. But he has an answer to the question of now what? He will stay with the witnesses and hope to see Jesus for himself the way they did. Now please notice, some of the witnesses, like Mary Magdalene and the other women who went to the tomb, they were seeking Jesus when they saw him. But others, like the people locked in the upper room on Easter evening that Vince just read, they were the recipients of God's free grace. They did nothing to merit being witness to Jesus' appearance except lament his death and fear the same. Thomas, like the first people that the women told, didn't believe these eyewitnesses in the upper room. But Thomas didn't leave it there. He went to confirm the news for himself. Jesus is gentle with these waves of witnesses as the news radiates outward. He appears to several people, gradually increasing the circle of those who have seen with their own eyes, heard with their own ears, touched with their own hands, the resurrected body of Jesus. Now these people have a new, fresh, exciting answer to the question, now what? Jesus told them, as the Father sent me, now I send you. Forgive the sins of others, he said, and they are forgiven in heaven. And go tell what you have seen. Imagine then the glow, the euphoria that would course through their bodies as Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit into them. They would surely forgive Thomas's doubt, as their doubt had been forgiven. 
by the first witnesses, the women. But Jesus and the witnesses have a problem. Will Jesus have to appear to every single follower before they believe? This is the crux of the story of Thomas. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed, Jesus says. Oh, but that's not the end of the story. The writer of John ends with a promise. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which were not recorded in this book. In fact, Jesus and his disciples have been answering that question of now what for more than 2,000 years. Receive the Holy Spirit, forgive others, and tell them the good news that their sins are forgiven. A passage in Acts tells how Peter answered his question of now what. He gets arrested for preaching. The Sanhedrin, the Jewish high court, blasts the apostles, including Peter, for filling Jerusalem with Jesus' name and teachings. You are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood, the high priest says. Now, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging on a Roman cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey God. And they indicated that they're going to keep right on teaching and witnessing in the name of Jesus, which we know they did. Tradition has it that the apostles spread out, each taking a territory to spread the good news. Says one historian of the fifth century, Matthew goes to Parthia, Thaddeus to Libya, Philip to Phrygia, and Thomas to India. In fact, there is an ancient Christian church of Thomas in northern India, and evidence in several ancient documents that an evangelist named Thomas was among the first to spread the good news there, among all castes and classes. He found especially fertile ground among the Dalit, the so-called untouchables of India, who welcomed Jesus' message of goodwill to all, freedom for captives and those who are oppressed. Fast forward to our century, in 2012, Pope Benedict decided to retire, and cardinals from around the world gathered in Rome asking, now what? The Holy Spirit breathed into them. They chose a man born in Latin America who lived not in the archbishop's palace, but in a small apartment where he cooked his own meals and took the bus to work. And he breathed in the Holy Spirit and asked, now what? In his first holy week as Pope, as, Pope as Pope, Francis I washed the feet of some selected prisoners. Now that was tradition. But the prisoners included two women and two Muslims, and that was not traditional. The world's Catholics, indeed, the world's Christians, 
saw a new thing happening. And we asked, now what? Since then, the world's Christians have been challenged by Pope Francis, by preachers and pulpits here in the US and abroad, by refugees flee fleeing war, by homeless peoples on the people on the streets. Spread the good news, forgiveness, the love of God for all people, the commandment to love one another as Jesus loves us. For the past at least six years, the folks who operate the Ravenswood Run, which defended, have answered that call by donating the proceeds of the run to benefit the food pantry and hot meal program at Ravenswood Community Services. We at Bethany, we reach out to the homeless and food insecure through Lakeview Pantry, which some of us, not me, but some of us um, uh, were working at just yesterday, and the crib, among other organizations. With these endeavors, we seek to let the downtrodden know that Jesus wants us to have their back. The grace of Jesus Christ is still appearing to us, perhaps at our greatest moments of despair, when we go seeking him as the women did at the tomb. Perhaps when we are in a locked room with our companions fearing the authorities. Perhaps as someone born into a group of people who have been told their whole life that they are the dregs of the earth. Or perhaps like Thomas, when we're sitting in a pew among believers, trying to see for ourselves what all the gossip is about. Jesus breathes the Holy Spirit into us. Now we are witnesses. Now what? Praise God. Amen. <laughs>